So it's, uh, it's my privilege tonight to share the Word of God with you, and uh, I believe this, the Lord put this message on my heart for the church, and uh, it certainly ministered to me. That's always a good start, right? If it, if it doesn't minister to me, how can I minister to you? So I'm encouraged by this message, and uh, we're going to go first, if we could today, to uh, John 14, verse 5. We're going to go over a very familiar passage of Scripture, and we're going to get into it and get in a few points out of it that may not be occurring to us as much as they should. So John 14, verse 5. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. John 14, 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Praise God. Isn't that a powerful scripture right there? Jesus said here that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only one that we can go through to get to the Father. That's a very bold statement to make. Very bold, very bold. If one was not able to back that up, wow, that would be a a bold statement. But Jesus has been backing up that statement for the last 2,000 years, hasn't he? He's been showing mankind that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the way to the Father for 2,000 years. But still, what an incredibly bold and exclusive statement that Jesus made. You know, not by works can you get to heaven. Not through other people. No other religious figure. No other religion. There was nothing you could do on your own. And no one else could get you there but Jesus. You know, if it weren't true, it's such an exclusive and arrogant statement that you might be prone to not even like the guy for saying such a thing. You know, as Josh McDowell wrote, he's either crazy He's a liar, or what he says is true. Those are our choices. But you know, everything else about Jesus' life, everything else about Jesus' life showed that he was not crazy and he was not a liar. His goodness, his kindness, his miracles and his healings, and the historical certainty of his death on the cross and his resurrection. You know, many people have gone down the road to disprove the resurrection of Jesus and his death on the cross, and they became converts of Jesus. And of course, Jesus spoke many other times about the expression, the way. You know, for instance, you don't have to turn to all these verses. They'll be very familiar to you, but you can if you want to. So in Matthew 7, 13, very well-known scripture, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus, the Word of God, in Proverbs 16, another very well-known scripture, there is a way that seems a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And here in John 14, Jesus said he was that way. You know, Jesus also spoke about truth many times, didn't he? In his word and in his ministry. In, in John 8:31, he says, "If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed." And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Praise God. The truth sets men free. You know, Jesus stood in front of of Pilate. Pilate therefore said to him in John 18, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Are you hearing his voice tonight? then you're of the truth. 
If you're hearing his voice, Pilate asked him, what is truth? But Pilate was staring into the face of the truth, Jesus. And Jesus spoke about life many times in his ministry, didn't he? These are very common themes in what Jesus taught. For instance, in John 6, 51, he said, I am the living bread which comes down, came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give you is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And in John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the devil. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and they they may have it more abundantly. Isn't that wonderful? And here in John 14, 6, Jesus summed up all of that teaching when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Brothers and sisters, this is the core of our witness to others, that Jesus is the exclusive path to a relationship with God. We need to know this and be convinced of this in a world with so many opinions and so much confusion. The church in the world, especially in the United States, is weak in this area. And Jesus actually offers what all individuals are longing for. Jesus actually offers what all men are looking for. He is offering the way, the truth, and the life found in himself, which leads us to the Father and eternal life. And once you find the way to the Father. He remains your way. He continues to be your way, your life, and your truth. There's such beauty and clarity in this statement from Jesus. You know, brethren, as I meditated on this scripture, this is the scripture the Lord led me to. What really crystallized in my heart is that what everyone is searching for in this life is in this statement. And sometimes we quote this verse, as we should, as a verse that demonstrates that Jesus is the only path to salvation, which is 100% true. He is the only name given among men whereby men must be saved. But I believe there's even more meaning found in, in the statement of Jesus, which we kind of jump over. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through Jesus. All true. Jesus actually hits on all that people are actually already doing in their lives. You see, people, brethren, all of us, are in one way or another, consciously or unconsciously, all of us are looking for exactly what Jesus described in this verse. We're looking to find our way in this life. We are trying to find out what is truth to guide us in our decisions. And we're trying to find out how to live the best possible life. That really hit me as I studied these verses. I hope it hits you too. This is the sum total of all human desire, to find our way, to have truth guide us, and to maximize life right out into eternity. And you know something, brethren? Jesus knows our hearts better than anyone, because the Bible says he actually created mankind. And later, not only did he create mankind, later he came to the earth and he walked in our shoes. So who could possibly know us better than the one who created us and who also came down and lived in our shoes, or in Jesus' case, sandals? Think about how well an engineer who designed a car would know it by the time he was done with the design. 
He would know every nut, every screw, every measurement, every calibration. He designed it. No one knows us better than Jesus. This is how Jesus knows us. It's always interesting to me, brethren, that Jesus' message to the Laodicean church, you know, the Laodicean church, for those of you who don't know, many Bible teachers believe speaks of the church that's present on the earth right before Jesus' return. And I agree with that. It speaks to all different kinds. There's, there's a lot of meaning there. But to that church, and that church alone, Jesus reminds us of something. Let's go there if we could. Revelations 3, 14. Revelation three fourteen. Jesus wants us to be strong in these last days. He wants the church to be ready to share his witness with the world. He wants us to be fortified in our faith. Revelation three fourteen, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. You know, brethren, at a time when the idea of God the Creator is most under attack, when the ways of God the Creator are most under attack, when man thinks he can play God with even the most bi- basic biological facts, that's what they're doing. At a time like this, Jesus says, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In the original Greek, the beginning actually means the origin. The beginning or the origin. Jesus is the origin of the creation of God. He is the source of the creation of God. He did it. Prophetically, he wanted us in this Laodicean age, when evolution is a God to so many, when people are trying to be gods themselves by changing their identities, even what has been dictated otherwise by their chromosomes, and override what God has created, when people are replacing God's morality with a man-made counterfeit of God's morality, man's truth is trying to replace God's truth, right at the end when artificial intelligence is about to blow the lid off of technology and create God-like knowing computer intelligence and set the stage for the rise of the Antichrist who will use technology like we can't even imagine at this moment, It's never been used before like this. It's going to be used to control mankind, to be omni, the Antichrist wants to be omnipresent, omniscient, and all powerful like God. And that's what he's going to use artificial intelligence for. It's coming down the road, not too distant future. At this critical time, Jesus, the creator, the originator of the creation of God, he's reminding us as the amen, by the word, by the way, the word amen means firm, truthful, and solid. The amen is reminding us that he is the faithful and true witness in this deceptive age. He is the origin of the creation of God. Good, church, good reminder for the church. Every word that he has spoken will come to pass. Everything that he says that matters to the individual, everything that he says prophetically will take place. And he reminds us of this. He is the origin of the creation of God. He is the originator. And so when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it takes on a special meaning. Because he is the creator. You know, I find that little tidbit in the book of, of, of uh, Revelation of Jesus Christ to be a real encouragement to me. No other church received that encouragement. But at a time when man is working to be godlike, he, said, he reminds us of who is really the source of creation. And I find that encouraging. 
So as a creator, he knows us. He knows we are looking for a way. He knows we are looking for a truth to guide us. And we're looking for life in this world and life that even stretches beyond the grave. Imagine that. You know, I came to Christ at age 14. And even as a young man, I was curious and I was looking for someone to show me the way, to give me truth to live by and to give me a productive and good life. And I wasn't finding it. My, my, my well-meaning parents who taught me many good things, they exposed me to what I knew of, Christ, they knew of Christianity. They couldn't give it to me. My friends or mentors or coaches didn't have it. I yearned to have a relationship with God, who I believed in. I believed in God, but I did not know how to approach him. When I heard the gospel, I recognized this scripture to be true, that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and I could get to the Father through him. And that's when I was born again. You know, our way speaks of the way we live our lives, where our feet go, what places do we frequent. You know, if you did a, uh, a GPS tracking from above of where you went in a day, that would sort of be the beginning of your way, right? I went to work. I went home. I went to, do, to the gym. I went to my hobby. I went for a walk. That would be kind of an aerial view of your way. But it goes down further, right? It's what, what you're doing when you're at the gym, what you're doing when you're walking, what you're doing in your house. That's all part of your way. How do we live? What's our family path? What's our career path? What's our educational path? What direction are we going in? It really speaks of everything that encompasses how we live. You know, people will say of their teenager, he's finding his way, right? Or of a wayward child, I hope he gets back on the right path. Or people talk about their career path. No matter what path we have figured out for ourselves, Jesus says he is the way. He's the way to God. People are, people are often going on the wrong way in life, aren't they? I read that scripture earlier where it says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. When I was thinking about this message, I, re- I was thinking about the time I was driving to church and I always have to go around Carrier Circle, to, which is always a nightmare, as I've said before. I get on Carrier Circle, the first thing you're looking for in the cars around you is out-of-state plates, right? New Jersey plate, Massachusetts plate, okay, they don't know how the circle works. That's the first thing. But my biggest surprise one day was when we were about to get on the circle and there was a car coming around the circle the wrong way. Yeah, coming around the wrong way. So I don't know how that person (laughs) must have come up to it. I've seen that actually a couple times since then. Because like I said, I go back and forth a lot here. So that person was definitely going the right way. The wrong way, excuse me. And they almost caused a a collision. I, I didn't see anybody get hurt. So many people in this world are going the wrong way. But even as they're going the wrong way, they're still yearning for the right way. Jesus is the right way. The right way is found in a person, Jesus Christ, God himself. You know, regarding truth, you know, we live in a very deceptive age with much misinformation and disinformation. But still, people are looking for something to guide them in their life. People are always looking for knowledge of how to do things, how to, how to fix things. You know, YouTube is, I, I go on YouTube almost every day to figure something out. There's a hunger to know things. But deeper than the hunger to know things is, the, is a hunger for the truth, absolute truth that can guide our decisions, that can provide clarity in a really crazy world. Well, Jesus said he is the truth. He is the truth. You know, the truth never shifts or changes or evolves. It's always the truth. It's dependable to guide us. It's like a light that always works. It's dependable to guide us in a crazy world today. Jesus is the truth. People these days are certainly all about making the most of their lives, right? 
Americans are good at that. They want the most life that they can get. The highest quality and the longest. They want a high quality life and they want a long life. So most, most of us humans are trying to have our best lives. You know, it could be you put ed- effort into education, then you make money in, o- in order to improve the quality of your life. That's one end of the spectrum. You know, you're actually trying to improve your life. There's other poor souls who put their efforts into maximizing their pleasure in this life. You know, drugs and alcohol and sex and all kinds of crazy, you know, motorcycle gangs and, you know, crazy gang living and all kinds of... So they're, they're trying to maximize their life through the experience of that kind of stuff. So you get, you get everybody else's in between, I suppose, those two, those two uh, ends of the spectrum, those two extremes. But people are trying to maximize their life. Most people desire to have the best life that they can fashion given their circumstances, right? We're all trying to have the best life we can given our circumstances, given what we were born into. And maybe we want to even rise up above what we were born into. But all of mankind knows their lives are going to end, if they think about it, right? At some point, they go to a funeral. Somebody dies around them. If there was a way to live forever, wouldn't they want to know about that? In this life, this is our chance to learn about how to make it to the next life. There's no chances after that. People are trying to figure out the very stuff that Jesus talked about here. To find their way, to find the truth that can guide them, and help them make decisions and have the best life that they can have. Jesus hit on all of it right there as our creator. Whatever your age with Jesus, it's not too late to figure out your way. You could figure it out at five years of age or 95 years of age. As long as you have breath in your lungs, it's not too late to turn to Jesus. Maybe you're listening online tonight. It's not too late to turn to Jesus. You can, be, you can go from unsaved to saved in a moment by believing on Jesus. Jesus is telling us tonight, Christian and non-Christian, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's all found in him. It's all found in him. All over this world, hundreds of millions of people can testify that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Praise God for that. For 2,000 years, millions and millions of people have been turning to Jesus. When we share with others, know this, that knowing the way, the truth, and the life is the longing of all humanity. I'm sharing this, brethren, because we need to sometimes be encouraged in the fact that people are seeking these three fundamental things. Sometimes we no, they're not interested, they're not interested. But no, Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life because people are looking for a way. They are looking for truth. And they are looking for the best life that they can have. That's fundamental in all of us. And we need to approach people and be bold in our witness, knowing that that is the case, that there are searching souls. You know, I recently stumbled on some of the writings of a guy, I think his, name, I think his first name is Blaise, or Blasé, I don't know. Blaise Pascal, let's call him. They say he was a genius from the 1600s. Maybe you've heard of him. He, was, he really was amazing. He was a mathematician, and he was a uh, physicist, and he was a futurist. He was kind of like a uh, Michael, uh, not a Michelangelo, a Leonardo da Vinci type of guy. Anyway, he came to, he was a brilliant guy. I think he only lived around 40 years. But he had an experience with God. He got to know Jesus. He got to know Jesus. And at the time, of course, the Catholic Church was the predominant uh, church in, the, in that part of the world. And, but within the church, there was this teacher who really pointed people to Jesus. So anyway, he, he came up with some of these things. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. 
And he came up with some really neat sayings. I didn't realize that these sayings, brethren, that we use all the time, a couple of these sayings originated with him. And you'll recognize these sayings as soon as I tell you. So here's one that we've all said. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus. That's Blaise Pascal. Isn't that neat? 400 years ago, he came up with that. He also did another one, which I think we use regularly in sharing the gospel with people. He said, uh, if I believe in God and life after death, and you do not, and if there is no God, we both lose when we die. But if there is a God, you still lose, and I gain everything. Have you heard those expressions before? Those both come from this brother in the, in the 60, mid-1600s. A God-sized hole is in the longing of the created for their creator. Praise God. God created us in us a longing for fulfillment which can only be found in him. But you know, God wanted free will beings to love him and choose him. He wanted free will. Free will is what makes love so beautiful. The attraction and the wooing and the commitment between two willing partners, partners and the building of the relationship and the maintaining and growing of the relationship on the part of two willing beings, it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing that Solomon wrote that the way of a man with a maiden was one of the wonders that he beheld. Like, wow, that's amazing how this man is attracted to this woman and this woman, and they talk to each other and it's a beautiful thing. Too wonderful to describe. You know, we would find it sick and disturbing and evil if a man who was seeking a wife would go out and capture her against her will and imprison her and make her his wife. God forbid. That would be looked, looked at rightfully as sick, disturbed, atrocious, and illegal. Why? Because love in marriage is rooted in our free will. And God is not going to kidnap mankind to love him. He's going to woo us. He's going to send us his son. He's going to show us that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that he will satisfy our souls. But he's not going to kidnap mankind. We have a free will. That is why the Bible describes Jesus as the groom, right? And the church is the bride. There's no better picture of, of, uh, of the relationship between Christ and the church as the bride and the groom. I hope this is not too simple for you all. I hope this is a good reminder in our witness to others. Jesus is actually what people are searching for as they try to figure out their way. As they search for truth to guide them. And they look for the best life that they can have. It is our call to help them see that. We're created to have a relationship with God. You know, if you go back, uh, well, actually, let me, yeah, let me just cover one more thing here. Um, a lot of times, you know, in math, speaking of math... <laughs> When you have a mathematical problem, there's usually one answer to it. <laughs> I mean, 3 plus 2 equals 5. Still, even with new math, am I correct? 3 plus 2 is still 5? Even with new math, the answer still is 5. Also the same for complex mathematical equations, right? There's usually one answer that is true. You know, when a machine is broken, there's usually one main thing that's broken. Now, when that thing breaks, there can be a ripple effect. But it starts with one thing. Everything doesn't break at once. The other day I, had a, I was trying to fire up a brand new uh, presser washer that I had gotten, and I couldn't get it started. You know, I'm doing everything right and looking at the manual, and uh, I call up Brother Alberto, and I said, Brother Alberto, I got this brand new pressure washer, it's not working, blah, 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 I got it last fall, 
Of course, he's a mechanical genius, and he goes right away, oh, well, there's probably, probably the carburetor is clogged. A lot of times at the factory, they put some gas in it, and they don't tell you that they do that. They fire it up, and then the, the gas dries out over the wintertime. It clogs up the carburetor. So God bless Alberto. We came over, took the carburetor apart, put it all, cleaned it out, put it all back together. You know, great. There was one problem. The carburetor was clogged. The problem with the machine was the carburetor. He fixed the carburetor, and it started, started working. You know, if you're an astronaut and you're, you're trying to come back into the Earth's orbit, you probably have heard this before, but the angle has to be exact. The angle has to be exact. If it's too shallow, you will actually bounce, you'll bounce off the atmosphere. And bye-bye. Or if it's too steep, you're going you're gonna to burn, you're going to basically drill a hole in the ground. There has, there's an exact calculation down to a fracture. So there's one answer for reentry. Jesus is like that too. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the answer to the simple mathematical question. He's the answer to the complicated mathematical question. He's the answer when the machine is broken. We're the broken machines, right? We're broken because of sin. He's the answer if you want to enter heaven. The exact angle to heaven is through Jesus. People try to figure things out for themselves. Let's go to 1 Peter 1.17. People try to find their way into heaven and to know God. Let's go to 1 Peter 1.17 if you could. His precious blood is what purchased our salvation. 1 Peter 1.17. It says here, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, in reverence, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. In verse 18, we see how often mankind, mankind tries to find their way through money. Through money. People try to find their answers to their better quality life through money. But the Christian is not redeemed, is not fixed with corruptible things like silver and gold. Money can't fix the problems of mankind. It can help certain situations, I get that. But it can't fix the big situations, really. If money could fix what is wrong with mankind, super rich people would not have drug and alcohol addictions in their families or in themselves. They would not have children or suicides. They would not have broken families. They would not have emptiness. They would not have premature death, uh, Sexually confused children, rich people would not die. But they die. They have all these problems. The super rich often have more than their fair share of these problems, actually. Money, money cannot buy what Jesus gives. He redeemed, God redeemed mankind with the gift of his son. You know what also does not redeem us? Look at what it says here at the end. It says, our aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. How many people today are trying to uh, find their way, find the truth, and find their life from what's been passed down to them from their ancestors. Right? How many people? Well, my father was a Catholic, and I'm going to die a Catholic because his father before him was a Catholic, and I don't care what Jesus says, it's the Catholic, what the Pope says. And Really? That's, 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 and that's empty traditions passed down from past generations. No one's going to want to be in hell with their great-grandfather. If you don't know Jesus. 
When Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, no one can connect to God the Father except through him, he's making an exclusive statement. And he's also saying at the same time that God's ways are superior to our ways. Superior to every way in the world. And I want to talk to you about that tonight. God's ways are superior in every way. Let's go to Isaiah 55. Jesus is the way. Let's see what it says about God's ways. Isaiah 55, 8. And this is really, this section is really a reminder for us Christians to choose God's ways, to choose God's ways, ways in all that we do, because they're better. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, God, God's ways are so far superior to man's ways in every single way. And Jesus is the represent, representation of that. This is what I'm trying to express, brothers and sisters. God's ways are better than my ways and your ways. God's truth is better than earthly wisdom and, and the truth that men think they come up with. God's life is better than anything that the world can give. And you know something? This is a fundamental struggle for people in the God's kingdom. Let me say this. Actually believing wholeheartedly that what God has to offer is better than what the world has to offer in every area and in every way. We can struggle with that. If we really believe that, then all trials are endurable and temptations can be overcome if God's ways are better than our ways. All temptations we can face as Christians as a fundamental struggle comes down to believing are God's ways better than our own ways? Are God's ways better than the temptation? And it started with Adam and Eve, didn't it? They had the whole garden that they could do, they could just have a great time in the garden and they could enjoy all the fruits and they could enjoy each other and they could enjoy all the splendor and the presence of God. But there was one thing that they could not do. And that one thing is what ruined the rest of it, right? Had they chosen God's ways, the world would have been a different place. And it's the same thing every day for us. What God offers is the best. The Lord wants to convince us of this, that everything he does and everything he says about everything is the best way that gives the best life, the best quality life, the most abundant life. All these other things, brethren, that we're faced with, that are challenges, they are counterfeits. They are counterfeits to the original. And they're like empty sugar, sugar calories that you just burn up versus the solid, good meal from the Lord. You know, God from the start wanted the people that would have a relationship with him. Let's go, to, let's go there. Let's go to um, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, please. Let's go to Exodus 20. I wish, brethren, in, early in my Christian walk, that someone had pounded this idea into my brain, pounded it into my brain with a hundred sermons in a row, that God's ways are better than our ways in every single way. That would have been a great lesson to really tackle as a young person. Exodus 20, verse 1. But it's true, because Jesus is the truth. Exodus 20, verse 1. 
And God spoke all these words saying, I am, listen to these words, I'm going to emphasize certain words. So people take this as a commandment, right? This is the first commandment. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of, you brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, these commandments, which are all, you know, the, the first commandment, the second commandment, like it's all harsh, right? These, these commandments are about love. These commandments are about relationship. Look what he says here. He says, your God, who brought you out, he, he rescued you from, from bondage. He rescued me from bondage. He rescued you from bondage. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. He says, we should prioritize him like we prioritize our loved ones. That's what he's asking for here. God wants the highest priority in our lives. This is about relationship. He says he's a jealous God. That tells me he values the relationship with his people. He's hurt when we don't give him the priority in our lives. There's a sense of hurt there. But showing mercy to thousands, that speaks of his love in his mercy. The first two commandments, they express the deep and personal relationship that God has for his people. You know, which Brother Brian beautifully described on Sunday morning, where he talked about the people of God are those who have a relationship with him through faith. That's how the people of God are formed in all generations. When you realize deeply that God created you for a relationship with himself, and that he's given you this superior way through Jesus to access him, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a superior way to all other ways. God's ways are superior in every way. And like I said, I wish somebody had beaten that into my head as a young man. Probably why in the beginning of Proverbs, uh, the writer spends so much time saying, listen, my son, listen, my son, take heed to my words, my son. I'm studying the book of Proverbs right now as an aside, and it's like, wow, is he really reminding this kid of listening to the wisdom of the word of God? It goes on for chapters and chapters. Take the instruction. Listen. Why? Because God's ways are better. His word is better. And he wants to get that into our heads so that when we're tempted, hmm, I'm going to choose God. I'm going to choose what he says. I'm going to have the abundant life Jesus promised. What the world has to offer, it's like sugar. It's, it's temporarily sweet, the Bible says, right? Pleasure is good for a, a moment, but it's a counterfeit to the pleasure that God actually gives us. You know, it's possible to be raised in the church and go through 13 years at the academy, but personally, really never personally discover and realize that a relationship with Jesus is actually, practically speaking, it's not an alternative way, a tr- not an alternative truth, not an alternative life. It is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not something you do to, in the meantime. I see that sometimes in our youth. It's like they're biding their time. Jesus is not the meantime. He's not an okay offer. He's not an alternative path. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the best offer. His ways are the best ways. 
And I'm going to show you at the end, I'm, I'm going to show you, at the very, very end, I'm going to talk about some of the fruit of what's going on in the world right now. What they're doing is not working. What people are leaving Jesus for is not working. And it can be proven scientifically. They're studying these things these days. Jesus is not something you do temporarily. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's what you do forever. He's not a placeholder for you until something better comes along. He is the firm foundation. You know, a common, just a couple things that, as examples, you know, a common thing that Christians in America in particular get caught up in doing is it's very easy for us to get distracted making money, to make success a God. And I understand, I want you all to prosper tremendously. You know, God, God's been good to me in my life. He's been good to many of you. He's been good to, really to all of us. But I want to see everybody prosper. But as long as we keep our priorities straight. God can bless us even when we keep our priorities straight. He can add the increase. But there's times when we can get a little bit off track on this. Let's go to Proverbs 23, verse 4. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this is a common problem in the church in America. Where people get distracted from serving God and seeking first the kingdom... And they overdo it with pursuing money. You want to have the right balance in your life so you can be a servant of Jesus. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Look what the wisdom of Proverbs is. I love the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. (laughs) I like that. Cease. Verse 5, will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. You know, the Bible says the more money you make, the more mouths you have to feed. The more vehicles, the more lawns you have to cut, the more gadgets, the more employees, the more taxes, the more security systems, and on and on and on. You make more, but the drains on the more grow and grow. You know, the Bible says instead we should seek the blessing of the Lord. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Better to be in that sweet spot where God wants you to be, not too rich, not too poor, but blessed by him, than to get all distracted by the world. Amen? Here's another area. Relations, I'll be frank with you guys. Sexual relations outside of what God has prescribed, as I talked about last time. They're doing all kinds of studies now. You know, the world is doing their thing. They've been doing their thing for 50 years. And now people are studying this. People are, you know, people that are psychologists and all these type of people that study human behavior. And there's all kinds of baggage and garbage that goes with doing things outside of what God has prescribed. God said a man and a woman, they get married They have a beautiful relationship together. He blesses it. It's all wonderful. But anything outside of that is not meeting his approval. And there's a lot of bad fruit with that stuff. Of course, there's physical things today. There's so many sexually transmitted diseases. But there's also unwanted pregnancies. But there's a lot of emotional baggage and a lot of emotion. I mean, they're studying this all the time. I'm reading about this all the time. There's all these, there's there's trust issues. There's, there's jealousy issues. There's loneliness and despair when these uncommitted relationships break up. There's bonding issues. You know, women and men bond when they're that intimate, and then that bond is broken. There's the hurt of rejection. There's, there's all these consequences that young people are going through today. 
You know, better to be a eunuch for the kingdom of God and be celibate unto the Lord than the alternative, because God's way is better. God's way is always better. That's another big problem in our society today. There's all kinds of issues where God's way is better, right? I could cover, I could cover many of them tonight. How about the way we drive? Can we drive to honor God? Can we drive to honor God? You know, it's better to slow down. This crazy world, slow down. Don't be offended by other drivers. Let them cut you off. Let them pass. Road rage is a big problem today. I just read about a a pastor, a man who I really love in the Lord. Uh, He's really, his, his ministry has been a big help to me in my walk years ago in particular. And he had an anger problem, and he just got arrested this week for an anger thing on the street. He's a man of God. He's my age. He's 62 years of age. Okay? Basically a road rage incident. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. God's way is better. Take the humble path. You know, how about a lot of times people today, with our tongue, you know, people lie, they brag, they exaggerate, or they make excuses. You know, God's way is better. God's way is what? Go the humble path. I'm late because I overslept. I'm late because I overslept. I didn't do that thing that you asked me to do. I forgot. Better we be truthful, right? Choose God's way. Take the path of humility and humbleness. And then people will know that at least we're truthful. And that's the most... Jesus said, I am the truth, right? Christians want to be truthful people. I'm just giving you some common things that people, people go through. The way of Jesus is better. Better to acknowledge our fault and then work through it. Praise God. And I want to talk about one more thing tonight. You know, the world today has a counterfeit culture that's trying to satisfy the longings found in in men's hearts, to try to satisfy that hole that God placed in us that would long for a relationship for him. The the world is coming up with a counterfeit culture today. They're actually redefining morality, right? Morality is no longer according to the Word of God or the Ten Commandments, morality is now based on, you know, like slightly, you say something slightly wrong, that's immoral, you describe this a certain way, that's wrong. I mean, it's this whole counterfeit culture. Jesus, uh, Timothy, in the book of Timothy, it says, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. They're recreating morality today in our, in our culture today. And, and now, the fruit of that, that, uh, creation of this new morality, which is not God's way. God's way is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This is, this is creeping into young people today. If you go to the university, you're going to be so exposed to this that you're going to be, it's going to blow your mind as you probably already are experiencing if you're in certain curriculums in particular. It's trying to contaminate and corrupt you, this false morality. But brethren, it's a counterfeit culture. It's a counterfeit morality. It's a counterfeit godliness to what Jesus offers us. I'm going to give you an example of of this tonight, that it's not working. It's not working. It does not satisfy the heart of man because it does nothing to put man back into relationship with his creator. God's ways are better. Let me just finish with this this, uh, one example. I'm going to limit this to facts about a mental health crisis among young people. I'm going to read this to you from a study or from an article. The recent and much-talked-about report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, describes precisely that, quote, young people, especially young women, are in crisis. An article in the New York Times summaried 
nearly three in five teenage girls felt persistent sadness in 2021. And one in three girls seriously considered attempting suicide. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, author of Coddling of the American Mind. We are now 11 years into the largest epidemic of adolescent mental illness ever recorded. The timing of this unprecedented outbreak of anxiety, depression, and other mental health problems, Haidt points out, corresponds suspiciously with the rise of smartphones and social media apps, which Brother Brian has covered before. This technology led to a culture-wide exchange of what he calls play-based childhood for a screen-based one. That exchange likely helped create a generation with fragile psyches unable to deal with life's challenges. A reason that teen girls are especially hard hit in this crisis is they spend more time on social media platforms and websites that engender social and body anxiety. Listen to this. However, political views also predict psychological issues. Using Pew Research's American Trends Panel, Haidt demonstrates that liberal leanings predict the worst mental health outcomes. In fact, a majority of self-identified progressive women in Generation C, a majority, that's more than 50%, report that they have been diagnosed with a mental health condition. Age, sex, and politics are not the only predictors of trouble. Using the same set of data, political scientist and pastor Ryan Burge suggests that religious, listen to this, religious commitment is another important factor. Those who rarely or who never attend religious services suffer worse mental health than those who attend regularly or weekly. Altogether, and controlling for economics and education, Americans under 25 are doing very badly when it comes to mental health. Those suffering the worst, statistically, are young, female, liberal, and secular, which means no God. For them, brokenness is incredibly the norm. Scientists are saying this. On the other hand, the apparent insulating effect of religious faith and conservative philosophy is fascinating. Highly religious people are, in fact, more likely than their secular peers to describe themselves as very happy. I have come to give life and life more abundantly. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. Praise God. One's explanation for this is the proven positive social effects of religious belonging, God's ways are better, including higher occurrences of stable, loving family relationships and relationships like we have in the church. For example, in 2020, the Institute for Family Studies reported that those who attend church regularly are more likely to get married than their non-religious neighbors and less likely to divorce. Sounds like happiness. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except him. This is what our neighbors are looking for. Know this when it comes down to our daily choices with temptations. God's ways are better. Know this when the latest cultural trend is pumping at us. Their ways are not working. Most of them, most of the ways of the world today are coming directly from Satan himself. Jesus, our creator, is better. Praise God. And I want to repeat, Jesus produces different and better outcomes because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He designed him, us, 
In him we find our fulfillment. He is the way to the Father. Praise God. Now, I just want to you know, encourage you tonight with that uh, insight from God's Word and from that little study there that kind of confirms what it's all about, right? God's ways are better. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways better than our ways. So let's choose God's ways every day, every moment, by His grace. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray and close with that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the inoculation of your word and your truth, Lord. Make us strong. Make us willing to share the gospel with others, Father. Put it on our heart. Let us be always conscious that you are the only way to God. Help us to share that with others, Lord, to satisfy the longings of their heart. As someone once shared with us, Lord, give us that grace. Give us those divine appointments and opportunities in the coming days, Father. And please bless everyone who heard the word tonight and let the word stick with them as it sticks with me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you for your time and attention. God bless. Hallelujah.